Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. And Slug of Gin, the leader, 700 to go. Two and a half metres to the little champ, Courage Under Fire. Then came Admirals Avenue, safe and sound off the track. In between runners, Yieldstar. Three wide with cover at it again. Over on the inside, Kaya Kid. Then Happy Asset, Shaker Maker, Breenies Fella, Captain Rufus and Cole Bruce last. Heading off the back in 28.3. Slug of Gin led two metres. Courage Under Fire second. Right around the outside at it again, pulling out. Three wide, safe and sound. Admirals Avenue awaiting the express post lane. Favourites under the whip. Courage under fire as they turn into the straight slug of gin being swamped. Here comes Shaker. Shaker Maker let loose with a run. Look at him go. Shaker Maker hit the lead with John Justice. He's coming away. Flying Breedy's fella. It's a Victorian Quinella. Shaker's done it. Shaker Maker's won the Inner Dominion. John Justice and Shaker Maker have beaten Breedy's fella and Happy Asset. That is Trot's life. Dan Malecki calling the 2000 Inter-Dominion. Welcome to another special edition of your Wednesday edition. It's Wednesday with Wombat. We burrow back to the year 2000. Uh, some people would have been expecting uh, 1992. I uh, have spoken with Vic Frost. He's currently away, Vic Frost, fishing in the Northern Territories. Barramundi fishing in the Northern Territory, so... He gets back uh, next Monday so and has agreed to come on next week. So I flipped things around on the back of that. And today we look at the year 2000. Tim Butt will join us. We'll talk about Lyle Creek. Some sort of a horse, wasn't he? $2.2 million, 56 race wins. Lyle Creek. Raced in Europe, raced in America, New Zealand, Australia. I don't think he won his first race till he was four or five. He's some sort of a freak. Creek the freak, they called him. He was a freak. He was only lightly raced when he won that Inter-Dominion in 2000. And he was the first runner in an Inter-Dominion final for Tim Butt, who became so synonymous with the race from, well, basically for the next 10 years, wasn't it? Right through to Mr. Feelgood won in 2009. Shaker Maker, he won the Pacers edition. Some sort of a field it was, the final. 364 wins the finalists accumulated by the ends of their career and $11.1 million in prize money. Shaker Maker at the top of that tree earning $2.2 million. John Justice will join us as well uh, right before he goes out for a round of golf. So we've got Tim Butt, trainer of Lyle Creek, Shaker Maker, trainer and driven by John Justice. And that man we just heard as well. Dan Malecki is going to come on uh, late in the show as well at about 12.40. We'll get some recollections from Dan and him and I uh, as judge and race call, we spend a bit of time together and uh, it'll be great to get Dan on and have a little chat about that 2000 Inter-Dominion series. It was some sort of a series. Shaker Maker, 
beat Breenie's fella, the Victorian. He'd uh, won the Victorian Cup only the week before. It was a was a funny old Into Dominion series that year, if you recall. Uh, the point system was done differently. So the Hunter Cup was run in the middle of January, and it was for double points towards the Inter Dominion. They then had a round of heats, uh, three rounds of heats, of which Shaker Maker won one of those heats. They ran, then ran three rounds of heats and the Victorian Cup on the same night, and the Victorian Cup counter for double points. Then there was another three round of heats, and then the final. So the horses that then accumulated the most points across that could get in, and, and it really changed the dynamic of the race. I think it allowed a horse like Shaker Maker, who was a four-year-old, to say, well, you know what? I don't have to run three times in three weeks. There's four weeks in a row I can choose. I'm going to run the first round of heats. I'm going to have a crack at the Victoria Cup. And then if need be, I will go in the third round of heats. But at that point, he had enough points he couldn't miss out. So he was able to give him that week off as a four-year-old. So I only really ran in two heats, one heat in the Victoria Cup in a sense which was enough to give him enough points to get through to the final. Now, I'm a traditionalist. I love the three rounds of heats in a week. But when you do the research and you see the race that it assembles, I don't know, maybe there's, there's, there's some merit to it that uh, somehow we accumulate points through the year heading towards an inter-dominion. So some of our absolute best horses, we don't want them to have enough points so that they don't have to run in any heats, but... Yeah, I don't know. That's another debate that we're not going to get into today. You can get involved if you want, 0499 736 736. You should know the number by now, 0499 736 736. So Shaker Maker beat Breedy's fella. Happy Asset ran third. Yule Star ran fourth. Added again for Dennis Wilson ran fifth. Safe and Sound, Cole Bruce, Captain Rufus, Admirals Avenue, Kayima Kid, the red-hot favourite, Courage Under Fire, finished second last. He galloped out at the start. He banged his head on the mobile and galloped. And Slugger Gin, the American horse, ran last. There was so many dynamics in the race. There was four-year-olds in Courage Under Fire and Shaker Maker. There was local hopes. There was New South Wales horses. There was Kiwis. And there was an American in Slugger Gin or an, or an American bred horse. The Trotters final. Lyle Creek won, beat Africa. Ka, ka, ka. Homer Hawk third, Armrose Pride fourth, Sundon's Way, Buster Hanover, Special Force, John Justice runner, High Riser, Kawarua Invasion, Mountain Gold, National Interest, Regal Boy, Euro Ringgeet. Do you remember it? It came over uh, from Europe. So it was a European horse that contested the series and Lester Scott. So there was a USA horse. There was a, through Across the two series, there was an American interest. There was a European interest. There was plenty of Kiwis here, and there was a local winner and a, and a champion in Shaker Maker and a Kiwi who was a champion as well in Lyle Creek. Morning, Toby. You were a race caller? Maybe down the track you need to call a race for old times, sake. Okay, show us how good you, you were or are. Have a ripper. Cheers, big fella. I don't know where you got the detail. I was a race caller, big fella, but uh, yes, I uh, plied my hand at race calling, I have mentioned it on this show before, so you must have heard. I have, I did apply my, I did have a crack at it when I was young. Haven't had a real serious crack at it since. Um, I don't know if we'd be able to track down one of the races I did when I was a kid, but I have done a few things here and there with phantom calls, etc. But and, and a few trial uh, race races along the way when I've been touring around doing the judging. 
Let's get to a break, though. It'll be the first break for the hour, and we'll come back the other side with that trainer of the freak, Tim Bupp. Welcome back to SEN Tracks Trots Live Show, and I'm joined now by a legend of Inter-Dominion Racing, Tim Butt, trainer extraordinaire. Tim, mate, uh, firstly, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Yeah, we're, we're living it up here in Queensland. Um, we've got our own property up here and um, trying to develop the next Inter Dominion winner, Toby. <laughs> yeah, and to, to be honest, in many regards, it looked like you were just producing them year after year after year and it had never stopped. But uh, in many, some people be sort of glad you're not still doing that in a way because you're just making it look too easy there for a while, Tim. Oh, no, it's definitely not easy, especially in the, in the Dominion. You know, it's a pinnacle for any trainer, and, and it's a great challenge, you know, with the series and, you know, having your horse's condition going into it to, um, to get through the series and, you know, and having that luck to, to get the points and then still having a horse with a bit of petrol left in the tank at the, at, for the final. And I was surprised to see when I was doing my research that the year 2000, you know, Happy Asset and Lyle Creek both qualified for the final and they've got different stories, obviously, but they were your first two finalists in Inter-Dominion. So I sort of, in my mind, I, I sort of would have assumed you'd had some before that, but they were your first two? Yeah, they were, they were the, I think it was my second Inter-Dominion series, probably. Um, I think we went to Hobart with Happy Asset, but... Um... You know, I remember before we left for that for that particular series in Melbourne and uh, Harness Racing New Zealand um, provided a rug for all the paces in the series and um, the first one came out was Christian Cullen in Courage Under Fire, Home Steegy and Yule Star. Yeah. And then my horse came out at the asset. So you can imagine the quality of the, the horses that were just coming from New Zealand. So, um, But we, we ended up finishing um, the highest, highest point of the lot. So um, very interesting. Yeah, you ran third with Happy Asset in that pacing series. It was a bit of a different series where the Hunter Cup and Vic Cup counted as well. You ran second in the Hunter Cup off 10 metres. You, you had a horror run with barrier draws. He drew seven in the final Happy Asset and somehow managed to run third to Shaker Maker and Bruni's Fella. Yeah, well, I think um, Victorian set it up for Shaker Maker, you know, <laughs> tongue in cheek. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, Happy Asset was, you know, a great horse. Um, but just below, a rung below those those champion horses like Shaker Maker. But with an ounce of luck, he, he could have won the final. He, he went forward and, um, you know, he ended up in the running line and got pushed back a little bit. And um, Shaker Maker just got around him before he could come out. And um, But he flashed home for third. And, you know, we were, we were ecstatic to, to get that, Toby, you know. And was the Inter-Dominion... Like where where did it sit on your you know as you were a young trainer coming through in New Zealand your uncle Robin had run second in an Inter Dominion on Locarno in 1980 but the butt name had never won one at that point as a trainer anyway was the Inter Dominion really the the pinnacle for you? Well, it's interesting when you're a Kiwi. Um, you know the New Zealand Cup mm. carries so much mana, but um, for me it was the number one race was always the Inter Dominion. I think yeah. um because you are racing against the Australians and, and the series and, and you're testing, you know, your ability and your horse's ability against the best horses and the best trainers in Australasia, you know. So, um, um, you know, we, we were sort of, we'd grown up watching it and, and, and unfolding and things like that and, and listened to a lot of things that, that the old trainers had talked about with um, the problems that, that occurred during the Dominions and the things to, you know, look out for as a trainer. So, um you know, I think um, because it was a fabric of our upbringing that we we always, um, you know, were destined to, 
to go close to winning it, and, and, and luckily we have. All those factors, and you need a horse that's, you know, hardened to racing at that top level, and you got hold of a trotter called Lyle Creek, and you brought him over. He'd only had 14 race starts, and you brought him over for an Inter-Dominion. He was a five-year-old at the time, but he must have been relatively, well, inex- well, he's inexperienced, and still relatively new to it. There's a massive thing to bring him over, I'm sure, with only 14 starts under his belt. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I, I remember getting a, hearing a whisper that the Inter-Dominion Trotters final was going to go to half a million, and, and we were shopping around sort of six months before trying to buy a trotter that would be good enough to go in it. Unbeknown yeah. to us, we, we had the winner in our own stable at the time. <laughs> Lyle was just starting off, you know, and um, he just he just hit the ground running in about, about August, and... Um, you know, away he went. He just just went to Auckland at Christmas time and beat all the. I think he beat three previous Inter Dominion trotting winners in, in, a, in a race in Auckland, and then, you know, we moved on to the, the Inter Dominions, and um, the series probably suited him with the with the week between runs and yeah. one, one 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 heat was a standing start. So, um, you know, he, he he was just a well, he was just a champion trotter and and um, starting off his career really. So, so as he was coming through, he just what just kept improving, 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 and just kept surprising you the whole time. Yeah, well, he he kicked off. We sort of we sort of spell our horses over the winter, and he'd won three or four races, you know, prior to that. And he kicked off in sort of September, mm. um, prior to you know probably six months before the end of the minions, and he just went through unbeaten really, and through the lower classes, and then he won our Dominion handicap, which is our biggest race. Um, in November at our cup meeting and then went on yep. to Auckland and, and won the big trots up there at Christmas time. And um, naturally, you know, with the end of the millions being half a million, he'd, 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 pro- he'd proved to us that he's worthy to bring over, you know, but um, he just dominated the series. And, and um, you know, as I said, it was a great series to be part of. Ian McKeown was, um, you know, a great administrator at the time. And, um, you know, I don't know if I've been to an end of the million that that had such high profile as at Melbourne one, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was just a pleasure to be part of. It certainly was. And yeah, it was a different series in the qualifying. You won the Doard cup, which counted towards it. He was $2.20 favorite, which, uh, looks like value now, uh, Australian trotting championship, which was a virtually a heat as well off 10 meters at a dollar 40. And then he went around a dollar 40 favorite in the final off 10 meters. And he was just too good, Tim. two or three runs during the, during the final and just to keep out of trouble really and um, he, he it, it seems funny to say I think he had um, a nine starts or ten starts at the valley and he won nine of them and um, he always struggled a little bit with the, with the flat corners mm. and um, you know, in the final he just he just around the last bend he just looked like he was stopping but as soon as they straightened up he, he found another gear and kicked away and won easily yeah then didn't compete in another one with him anyway until 2005. There was a little bit happening between, though. You took him to Europe and to America, and, God, it was some sort of a journey with that horse over the next three or four years before he returned home to New Zealand. Oh, without doubt, you know, when, you, when you're lucky enough to take a horse to the elite lap, and, you know, we were young and, you know, enjoyed the social side of things, and, and uh, having a horse that's a vehicle, you know, to allow you to meet, meet other trainers and other horse people around the world is um 
you know, something something that you pinch yourself when you look back, really. And um, you know, we enjoyed it, and we we um, we you know did the right thing by everybody. And um, you know, he was just a just a fantastic horse to to be lucky enough to train. And then he, you had one more tilt at the Inter-Dominion with him as an 11-year-old, which didn't quite go to plan, but he still ran seventh in a final, which as an 11-year-old is pretty stunning, really. Yeah, I think it was pretty much a swan song then. He mm. you know, was having a lot of trouble with, you know, his old age was catching up on him. And um, But anyway, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure he would have won a few Inter-Dominions in between if he <laughs> stayed around. But yeah, uh, yeah. in those days, a lot of them were handicaps and, you, you know, yeah. you got... I think at the one at uh, Brisbane at Take a Moment one, he he um he was going to be fifty metres behind, which 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 made it awfully tough, you know. So when when you were shopping around looking for a horse for the Inter Dominion, it wasn't Take a Moment. He won two thousand and one and two thousand three. That wasn't the horse you found, was it? No, it actually was a horse of Mike the Phillips. We 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 were interested in buying. He actually came over for the series horse called Sundowner Bay, but um oh, yeah. I think he might have run second in one of the heats. But he got a, got an injury, I think, and um, yeah. But anyway, it was just just um, you know when it went to half a million, it was uh, it was unheard of, really. You know, twenty twenty two years ago, and um, you know, you sort of we knew we had happy asset in the paces one, so we, we we wanted to have something for the trotters. Yeah, take a moment. He know one in Brisbane, and then he know three. He backed it up with his second uh, into Dominion, which we can you know pretty amazing. You won what three out of four years in a row. Yeah, well, he was another terrific horse, and um, he, he he was very immature when we took him to Brisbane. I think he, I, I think he won it in one less start than maybe Lyle. He might have gone to Brisbane, and yeah. you know, on fourteen or thirteen starts as well. You know, so and it was a big trip for him with the weather, and um, you know, to Brisbane. So he did he did extremely well. But when it was in Addington in uh, two thousand and well, his next next win, he was just unbeatable. He he won every heat and um, you know, and had a hard run in the final and it was just too good. So, um on his home track and, you know, home environment, you know, they're pretty hard to beat horses like him. So you won a few with lightly race trotters that were jets and then in two thousand and nine we may as well touch on Mr Feelgood who was a former American pacer that had had plenty of starts. So uh, that would have been a challenge in itself as well. Yeah, it was a huge thing at the time, really, and um, you know, to get a get a horse like him, he had one of the little brown jug, and um, to come over and then sort of you know to teach him to stay and and different style of racing. But he was such a great horse; he was so adaptable. He had a great temperament and a great nature, and um, you know, he won the Hunter Cup prior to the prior to the Inter Dominion, and he um, and he wasn't really in you know his best best form then. I didn't think and. So we we were pretty confident at the end of the minions, but but he actually got got pretty crook and yeah. just acclimatising, and um, so he, he wasn't wasn't 100% going into the series, and and even right through the series, he he didn't look like a winner, you know, and um, but we just got him right on the right night, and things fell into place. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be actually up there for that. We had a horse uh, in the final in Monaco, and I remember the he was pretty crook, Mister Feelgood, for a while, and. He was in he was in serious doubt of even running around in the final at one stage, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he had a low white count, which is generally viral, and it's very hard to treat with antibiotics because it's you know it's not bacterial. So, um, so we just had to like nurse him and just 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 try and you know get him as good as we could. And um, and he and we just that week between the, the just we didn't do anything with him really. We just yeah. he just walked and jogged, and um, he just picked up and picked up and. You know, by a final day, he was actually like jumping out of his skin, and um, 
but as I said, we were we were thinking if third or fourth would have been would have been a great effort. But um, you know, when it, when he fell into place and he won it, it was a real surprise, really. Yeah, well, Tim, it was masterful training performances on many occasions, and the butt name so synonymous now with Inter Dominions, particularly over the last twenty years. And hopefully, you have got another Inter Dominion winner there just coming through the ranks and. Wouldn't it be something to you achieve so many so much with Anthony? But wouldn't it be something if you could if you could share one with a son? That would be the next the next thrill of your life, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, the end of the minions are up here at next next year after Melbourne. We won't we won't be part of the Melbourne series, but hopefully we were targeting you know something for that. And um, you know, I'm coming to the end of my training career as well, so um, it'd be a nice little swan song to win an end of the minion in Queensland where where we've won two of them already. So. Um, mm. Be something to look forward to. Good on you, Tim. Thanks for taking the call and uh, look forward to catching up with you sometime soon. No, it's great to relive, relive those memories. Cheers, David. Yeah, no worries. There is Tim Budd. And uh, it's a pretty common theme when I bring these people about coming on and talking about some of these uh, horses of bygone eras that have won into the minions. Like, you know, obviously they love these horses. You couldn't do anything but love them when they win an into the minion for you. Jeez. I know a lot of people, we we all love our horses, basically, and we love them when they win a maiden. We love them when they, you know, go into an Inter-Dominion series, uh, and we love, we certainly must, you must love them when they actually win an Inter-Dominion. You're lucky enough to have had a runner in, in the, uh, and my father did in, in the early 80s with another touch run sixth in a final at Globe Derby. Uh, just for Cody Winnell, if he's listening, Barrel Boy did run in two series. Uh, but didn't make a final. Just thought I'd better cover that off in case people hadn't heard. And I know Sooty mentioned last week to me when I saw him at the trots that he doesn't quite hear enough about Barrel Boy. I'm not sure that's exactly what he said. He might have said he hears too much, but I thought you might like to know that too, Sooty. Uh, 11.30 news coming up. I haven't cut the audio of uh, Darren Carroll from this morning, so I might have to see if I can get hold of that. Uh, over the next minute or two, or even uh, if Darren's listening, I might uh, give him a ring, see if he wants to just come on and do it live. Sweet shoes and I boarded the plane Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain Welcome back to Trot's Life. But that's all right. Darren has been unable to answer. He wasn't given any notice, so there's uh, nothing wrong with that, of course. Uh, so I'll get hold of his tips. We'll cut it up and uh, we'll get it to you uh, across the duration of the second hour for Geelong tonight. Only a handful of races at Geelong tonight. It seems a bit unusual. We've had 11s and 12s piling upon us seems seemingly day after day. You definitely notice them uh, when you're judging and... I think I put a tweet out, did 37 races in three days at three different meetings at Kilmore, Hamilton, and I can't even, and Ballarat, uh, 37 races and trials uh, to be judging in three days, plus did the two radio shows last week, and I've got a massive week again this week, here today, Geelong tonight, radio tomorrow, Echuca tomorrow night, then into Melton Doubleheader Friday, Saturday, St. Arnold Sunday for Trots Vision. And Monday, I'm off to Warrigal. So I'm not the hardest working man in harness racing, but I'm giving it a nudge at the moment. If I can give myself a pat on the back, as I'm sure uh, someone else. There's been plenty of people pat me on the back 
I've normally had a knife in the hand, though, as they've done it. No, I'm only joking. Let's get to a break. We'll get to Garrick Knight for sure on the other side. And got a little bit to talk about with Garrick. There's only a couple of horses of interest uh, for us to talk about. But uh, there is a few other questions I'm going to throw at him as well. So it'll be a bit of a questions with notice because I did throw them at him via email. So it'll be interesting to get Garrick's thoughts on a few things. Boy, you got a prayer in Memphis Big fella says, you are a bloody machine, Toby. Well done. Cheers, big fella. Now, horses that race in New Zealand, he knows. When they have their first start in Australia, he tells. What oil did Tim Butt use in his car in the year 2000? Who knows? Nightexports at gmail.com. Garrick R. Knight on Twitter. Garrick, my friend, how are you on this beautiful Wednesday day? I'm good. Thank you, Verbally Man. Yes, lovely to be here. Um, after last week's marathon, the last couple of weeks, really, uh, when you include Kaikoura and everything else, uh, just nice to sort of settle down a bit, though I do say that with a seven-meeting week here in New Zealand, which, well, that's just a usual uh, day in Australia. Seven in one week, I think, is probably the most all year we have here in New Zealand. So, yeah, plenty to go on with, plenty to talk about, that's for sure and certain. No, no real feature race or anything anywhere, though, that I could find. No, no, nothing nothing too sexy. Um, just a grass meeting on Sunday. Mile night Auckland here Friday, and you know, just sort of, there's a whole lot of horses racing though. But I guess all the the best ones have have sort of taken the week off after um, Addington last week. So, yep, uh, back to the working class uh, people and horses this week. Uh, but there'll be I don't know, seventy two or seventy three women's stakes paid out, which is uh, always good for the industry. Now I got a question off the text machine. Hi Toby, can you ask Garrick his thoughts on? Bolt for Brilliance and the Inter-Dominion and his assessment of his last start. Cheers from Matty. There you go, Matty. Fire away, Garrick. Oh, very disappointing start. Obviously, um, I, I, you would have expected him, even allowing the fact that it was a 2,000-metre stand, he was only off 10. And, you know, I consider him to be, especially over anything other than two miles, better than Sunday's Sun and as good as Muscle Mountain. Um so that was well below his best. I think he scoped bad afterwards. And, then, you know, Tony Hurley he sort of said he's on the back foot a little bit. Try to get him over a bit of a, I don't know if it was a bug or, or mucus or what it was, whether it was hay fever or something. Um, I think they're going to make a decision in the next couple of days whether he goes. One thing with Tony, he will only go if he's sure the horse is recovered and ready. So I guess take it as gospel if the horse gets on the plane. Um, he considers him fit, healthy and ready to rumble. And, Probably the fact he missed the Dominion mm. might play into his hands a little bit for the Dominion. You know, uh, a, a three, in, you know, it was nearly a national world record, whatever it was, run by Sunday Sun. Um, the field very, very spread out at the end of that. And Bob Fabrians was um, in his box. So, yep, I think we'll know more in the next 48 hours. I would lean towards, yes, he'll go and... Um, Allowing a week or so to recover from whatever was bothering him. Yeah, I think with it, with due respect to any trotter over there, I think he's as good as as any of them, if not better. So he should be the rightful favourite. Um, 
but sure, you've got to have concerns after that last start effort that something might be bothering him. Now, did you see, mate, who ran third in that uh, Dominion you're talking about? Your favourite horse, Five Wise Men. Um, yeah, look, he's paid six bucks. He's a probably trial. just waiting for his, probably waiting for his pseudo stablemate Sunday Sun to retire, um, mm. or or uh, looking to get back to you know mile and a half something like that. Because yeah, look, that, we've talked about it. That that year and sort of going between a three year old and open class. He, yeah, he was there or thereabouts, and he, he's he's obviously um, developed on from that, and he was going to pay. You know the dividends for the owners going forward. So he he's got some nice wins coming up for him in the next two years. Um, they've they've done the right thing. They haven't over raced him, been patient, and they're now about to be rewarded. Now we might tick off uh, what we have to do, but we don't have to do anything really, do we? Uh, race six tonight. No, race six tomorrow night at Echuca. Abby Sheck for Robert Caton and Tiana McMahon. They've just moved back from South Australia. They were Tiana came from the Kyabram area, so. I haven't caught up with her or anything at the races. I'll have to and find out. I've obviously moved back to Victoria and they've imported one from New Zealand, mate. Is there any um is there any New Zealand link with either of them? Not that I'm aware of, no. No, I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. Because the horse's New Zealand owner and trainer, Eddie Clark, is still listed as the owner. Um and I know he was in love with this horse. I tried to buy it a few times a year or two ago and pretty much wasn't for sale. He'd sold his property. Money wasn't an issue. Just really, really had high hopes for the horse. I was surprised to see it in the export list. I'm not surprised to see it still in his name. Slightly confusing is uh, Mr. Caton because um, I'd never heard of him. And yeah, even allowing for the fact come back from South Australia, I just, I, there must be some link there, I'm assuming. So look, anyway, this horse, very fast horse, very, very fast horse, has gate issues though, wear spreaders, can go rough, doesn't want to be bursting around a tight bend at speed because he'll gallop, um, but very, very fast horse. So if he find himself on a slightly bigger track, the bigger tracks in the state, um, He'll be able to put away most most lower grade, mid grade fields with his turn of foot. So take that on board. You can never back him with any huge confidence because he's always got that gate issue. Never go away. But the ability is definitely there. Yeah, that's valuable info because he'll be sitting on the most likely the leaders back in that race. So um, if he doesn't get around the turn perfectly, he's probably not going to win that race. So. Very good information. Thank you, mate. Race three, number six at Menangle. It's all about faith. Uh, I can see, I can just imagine you at a, at a club or something belting out a bit of George Michael. <laughs> can you? I'm more of a queen man myself. Um, interesting horse, this. Interesting horse. Um, I. It appears, as New Zealand owners Dennis and Mark Dunford, uh, those on the other side of the Tasman might remember one of their previous horses, a horse called Have Faith in Me, who won the, Went was okay. it the Chariots of Fire? Yep. Chariots of Fire or the Miracle Mile in like 146 or something, whatever it was mm -hmm. um, at the time. Yeah, so look, they've, they're never short of a good horse. This one was a brilliant young horse, huge gate speed, massive motor. I think it's a Group 1 winner. Might have won the size Stakes final. Um, they won it again last week with Don't Stop Dreaming, actually, um, on, on Cup Day. So, again, 
always have a good horse with Purd and Cullen Rasmussen. Um, this one, though, has a few issues with his head. He's very headstrong, can over race, doesn't relax, and it is to his detriment. So I get the impression his former trainers, the All-Stars, have basically said to the owners, he doesn't suit what we want out of a open-class horse because of his you know, proclivity for over-racing. So perhaps he's best going to Australia where he can run a hard mile, something like that. Um, very, very good horse. Uh, I guess with Jack Trainer, he's going to get every opportunity to be a, to be a star. So either if Jack can get him relaxed, or he can just get him humming for a fast mile, he's going to he's going to make a serious impact over there. Big, strong, upstanding type of horse with a huge motor. Twenty sixteen Miracle Mile. Have faith in me. One forty seven five over a horse called Lenny the Shark is what you were delving to find in the depths of your mind. That's it. That's the one. Now, the question, and I, I gave you a bit of notice on this, so I don't know if you've seen it or not. I assume you have. Millwood Nike. Hey, we just missed you. Just hang on, we just missed a couple, and your. Uh, oh, have your, I? Your, I, you, I you missed. Yeah, there's a couple there that I've oh, sent dear. back to you. Um, no, well, one in particular, Melton, Melton Friday night. Andy Gatt's got a first up one for Whiskey Cavalier. Yeah. I missed it. Race 10 Friday night, number 11, Whiskey Cavalier. Um, really, really promising horse. Has a few quirks. Um, they were very patient with him over here. Wore the uh, pacifiers and he's big gangly, sort of rangy type, did things wrong, but he's got a motor. Um, they've done well to buy him. I know as recently as two months ago, he was not for sale. So obviously something's changed, and they've picked him up, and here we are. This horse, I have no doubt, will become a Metro Plus or Saturday night you know, cup, cup level. Whether he goes to that... I'm not sure. Remains to be seen, but he's got any amount of ability, this horse, Whiskey Cavalier. Second line draw probably suits him. You know, Kate will be able to get a line on him and, you know, probably work around the field at some point with him and, and put him in the race. Um, I guess watch Andy on uh, the video they do with uh, Bonington, what's it called, um, where they're sitting in the car. Get an idea off that, what he thinks of it, but I dare say if the horse is training anywhere near as good as it was in New Zealand, it'll be going close to winning this week. And one more, I've just looked up my emails. Uh, race eight, number seven tonight. Bad boy Bo is listed as a dollar thirty-three at harness.org. So I don't think you're going to create a revelation here if you say it goes okay. Yeah, nice horse. Uh, Tony Hurley he had it over here. Um, probably, you know, very big for a three-year-old. Um, Tony had to give it a couple of spells after short preps. Obviously, just kept growing on him. Rolling type, as you'd expect from a horse of his size, has ability. Nathan Turnbull's a big tick. Doesn't look a strong field. He'll be winning tonight, and I expect a couple in a row. Going forward, just depends, I guess, physically um, how how strong he is. As I said, he's a big boy, but nice way of going. Dollar twenty eight he is on the TAB currently. All right, now we've still got five minutes, so I, uh, I've got we've got through all the horses we had to. Millwood Nike or Major Delight? If you could only have one going forward, who would you choose? Well, of course I'm going to say Millwood Nike. <laughs> a, due to bias, and B, B, because it's trained here, so I could go and watch it a bit more often. Um, yeah. I, I mean, 
I can't knock Major Delight, unbeaten. Superstar Philly, Bettis Delight, Emma Stewart, Mark Pitt, ticks all the boxes, very versatile. Um, yeah, but Millwood Nike's just one out of the box. And I know it's easy to say that because of the colours she wears, but the key for me, there was a race here up at Auckland a few starts back. They came, something ridiculous like 55 off the front or 54-8 off the front, and she came from near last and nearly won. And it was close to the fastest half I've ever seen at Alexandra Park, um, which is, I don't think that likely. You know, she absolutely stormed down. It was quite an amazing run. Got beaten, I think. Second or win, whatever it was. Just told me that she is freakish. And we saw last Friday, um, Kalua Flyby set a unbelievable tempo. They tried to, well, I say they tried to. She found herself boxed in at the 400 around some stable mates and um, still managed to extract herself and get up and win comfortably. I just just can't see anything in her age group beating her anytime soon. And the inevitable clash between these two fillies is going to be mouthful. There's no doubt about that. I just don't know when that will be. Eureka. I would assume probably sometime, yeah, sometime in the new year maybe. When is the Eureka? Eureka is late next year, mid to late next year. But see, fillies, three-year-old fillies will draw the best barriers. So if you want to draw barrier one, with Mil- you get Millwood Nike or Nike or whatever you want to say it. And, you know, you're a great chance of drawing one. I don't know. Is that something that Mark would entertain, do you reckon? Uh, she definitely looks like a horse that's going to be capable of matching it with the Colts. Mm. Um, you know, going forward... So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in a year's time if she's in the Derby in December next year. Yeah, yeah. You know, so she's that kind of filly. Um, she's she's got a bit of size about her. She's she's scopy. Um, she's tough. She's fast. Doesn't check a challenge. Seems to come through her runs well. Yeah, just another one off the production line. You know, you think back to other horses they've had, re- you know, in the last five or so years, like Spanish Amada and um, Princess Tiffany and. Mm. Uh, a few others like that party on. She just seems to let me, apart from Adore Me, who was another one all together, she's just a freak. Um, this, you know, she looks like she could be right up there. So, yep, I don't expect either of those two horses, provided they stay racing against their own sex, to be beaten much, if at all, in the next 12 months. But, yeah, that inevitable clash is going to be mouthful. No, yeah, me, my brother just texted said, no Kiwis allowed in the Eureka, of course. Sorry, Danny, I keep forgetting about that. Um, oh, okay. a there you go. Freudian slip, as I think they should be. But anyway, that's, an, that's another discussion. Now, mate, the last one. Has there ever been a horse have a cup week like Majestic Cruiser and not win a race? Like, he was the best run in the New Zealand Cup, arguably, and the best run in the free-for-all, arguably, and he's been beaten in both. Yeah, it's... I feel for, I feel for the connections and the horse because yeah, super, supersonic both times. That yeah. that Cup Day run I think has what was his last mile one fifty three and his best half in the race and just the way they the race panned out. We'll copy that in front running three fifty four off the front. He pretty much had no chance of 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 winning to get as close as he did was just amazing. Him and self assured I think probably the, apart from the winner we're not going to take anything away from the winner. But him and self-assured were the two runs of the cup, I thought. And that proved to be the case three days later when they ran the Quinella from back in the field um, with two amazing performances. That that Majestic Cruiser run on show day, like three wide soloed from the 800, just absolutely 
came out and had a lap full of horse on the bend. You would have thought you were home for all money. It took a phenomenal run from self assured to get him. And I know I tipped them to all my mates, Majestic Cruiser, and most of them got on at tens and threes, even the ones that aren't really punters. And you know they made a little bit of money on each way, but there was a fair, a fair bit of crying into their points on Friday night after going under by such a narrow margin, allowing for the fact that it was such a huge performance. You know you kind of felt uh, you kind of felt robbed, and that's just being a punter. So hard to hard to see how uh, the connections would have felt. Um, any better? Hey, look, they had they had a great trip. Two 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 placings, two runners up tags, a lot of money in the kitty, um, and they know, I guess, they've probably got arguably the most seconds. versatile horse in Australasia. So, um, yep, he's got a big one coming his way, no doubt about that. Twenty ten fifteen seconds, mate. You tipped him to all your mates. I never got a text. I never got an email. Nothing. Oh, Thanks. I'll chat. To you. I'll chat to you, you next read week. Twitter. It was on. Twitter. I'll chat it to you next Twitter. week. See you, mate. <laughs> All right. There's Garrick. Garrick Knight. Welcome back to Trot's Life. We continue our look back at the year 2000 with this time with John Justice, the man of the moment in the year 2000. Firstly, John. Uh, Welcome and uh, thank you for coming on. I hope you're well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Toby. It's uh, it's always fantastic to relive uh, great memories. Yeah, look, I've been going through these uh, week after week, and uh, I don't think anyone minds going back and looking at these uh, wonderful memories. But before we get to the year 2000, John, I don't think these things happen overnight. So. I just thought maybe you could touch on, you know, starting out in South Australia and then and then the move to Victoria as well. Yeah, um, well, I mean, you know, I was a young kid with a big ambition, big dreams, and uh, hmm. like most young people, um, just wanted to make make a mark in the sport. And uh, started out with a small team. Started out with Mum because she she was working a a trotter, and he uh, got going with her, and she taught me the basics and a bit more. And uh, then I just sort of like. Uh, Hung around with a few of the great trainers there and uh, slowly picked it up. And ambition-wise, when was, was there a particular race you really wanted to win? Was it an SA Cup or was it the Inter Dominion? Or when you were young, was it just as you said you just wanted to make your way in the sport and where it ended up? It ended up. Well, I mean, I had two ambitions. I mean, I, I wanted to try and get to number one in, in Australia. Yep. And. Um, I did achieve that, so I was pretty proud of that. And then I did want to win the Inter Dominion, so I was lucky to achieve that. So basically, um, the, the sport's been very kind to me. I've, I've, I've had some good fortune on the way, and the right people have, have uh, crossed paths with me. And, um, of course, uh, that's how I ended up with Shaker Maker. Before Shaker Maker, though, you had a little taste of the Inter Dominion in 93 and 94 with a, a really good trotter that a lot of people remember in Lennon. He ran third in 93 and sixth in 94. Was that a little taster as to what the Inter Dominion could be? Yeah, it was. It was with Lennon. But actually, go back a bit further, back to 89, 90, I had a horse called Tip Top Prince. Oh, yeah. He, he, was, a, he was a marvellous horse. He uh, he actually won the Italian Cup and um, he also won the uh, the Legends, well, I think the first Legends at Mooney Valley. He won, uh, beating some really good horses. He was a very fast horse, but he was... Uh, Injury plagued. Um, he he competed in the Inter Dominion. I think the year that uh, um, was it Pro, che- Pro Chevalier nah. won it in Mooney Valley. I think I, I got into the. I don't know if I made the final, but I was running in the Inter Dominion there. So it was back in eighty nine, ninety, I think. 
he was a very fast horse, and uh, for, for just sheer speed, he probably was be the fastest horse I've ever set behind. Yeah, he was a very gifted individual, that horse. I remember him well, actually. He was, His owner was a colourful gentleman as well, from memory too, going back. Now, you had this dream, and, and you'd had a little taste of it a couple of times, as you've just mentioned, and then in, what, 1998, a little horse called Shaker Maker de Booz as a two-year-old, and he, he was a brilliant two- and three-year-old, really, wasn't he? Like... He wasn't just an open-age horse, and he, he won uh, his first race. He, we won was at Maryborough at his second start. He won the Tatlow and APG as a two-year-old. As a three-year-old, he won an APG. You took him over for a WA Derby, and he won the Vic, Vic Bread three-year-old. He was a pretty good juvenile, wasn't he, John? Uh, he was just he was just one of those horses that um, he he wasn't that flashy. Like you know, he, hmm. he had a presence about him but he wasn't a real flashy horse he was just a, a big 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 bay and uh, you know he just did what he had to do and um you know i i won some good races on him i, I remember sitting on him one night and thinking he's, he's 15 meters off the lead in a four-year-old size final and um pastor mustard was in front and looked like he was going to be pretty hard to catch and basically i just lifted the rain and shake had him in two strides and uh, it was quite remarkable that win of his and um uh, it just shows you that the horse, even though he wasn't flashing, I, I just probably undersold him then by saying Tip Top Prince, the fast horse of a sat behind. Yeah. But Shaker could um, could just gather him up so quick. Well, he was known for that, that sprint at the end. I'm not sure if he was a sprinter or a stayer, but I think the answer's probably more in between. He could sprint in a staying trip, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, he he, he, he certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't one-dimensional. Um, mm. I mean... When he when he won the Ballarat Cup, I think um, he drew the back line, and Sokiola led to the got to the lead, and there was a fair bit of pace on early for Soki to get there. And I realised that there was a small window of opportunity. If I took off now, I could probably get the front because they're, they're all getting their second win. And basically, he got the front, and it was all over, and he turned it into a staying trip. That that just going back to that WA Derby. Apart from obviously the good prize money and all that, was there some more thinking around it, whether to you know to give him a trip away to try and mature him or anything like that? Uh, I'd like to say there was, but no, not really. I mean, it was yeah. just um, it just it suited and uh, it was in, you know just suited in the calendar and um, you know it, it, he hadn't had a lot of luck in the derbies because he kept knocking, running into courage under fire. So yeah. probably in the Victoria Derby was one I would have loved to have won with him. But, um, you know, of course, the little horse called Courage was unbeatable at the time. He was unbeatable. He beat in the Derby in Victoria and uh, and in, in the Australian Derby as well. He was some sort of a nemesis. And going into the Inter-Dominion series, he was sort of the red-hot favourite and the boom horse, Courage under fire. But... I note um, that year you were quoted as sort of saying you weren't sure whether you'd run him in the Inter-Dominion or not, as he was still only young in, in many regards at that time. And do you recall that, that decision being made late that that year in 1999, it would have been? Yeah, yeah, we we did. We were we gave it a fair bit of thought because of the fact that he was a four-year-old and, um, you know, it can be a bit uh, taxing on him. Um, probably the reason why we did run him in the end, it was in our back door. It was a home home state, yeah. and um, you know yeah. there was no travelling involved. And if anything went wrong, well, you know we could always pull the pin pretty quick and not have to worry about travelling him home. So that was the reason why he ran. And um, certainly, at time says now it was, it was a great decision. 
you know, even though I, I look back and think Shakespeare probably could have won another two in the Dominions if he just had half ounce of luck. So he probably could have won three in a row, but he didn't. Uh, he competed in four in the Dominion finals and, um, you know, um, just, just lucky enough to win one and it just shows you how hard the race is to win. 100%. So, do you think that mm. year it wasn't a traditional series in a sense? So the Hunter Cup was worth double points. The Victoria Cup was a part of the series, almost as heats worth double points. And then there was round of heats as well. So was that part of he's a four-year-old, but we don't have to run him three times in a week? Was that part of the reason that probably made it even more attractive to throw him in the deep end? Most definitely, yeah, it certainly did. I mean, I think we actually missed the Hunter Cup. You we didn't did, run yeah. in the Hunter Cup because for that reason we were able to and it was a two-mile race and that would have taken too much out of him probably. And, uh, um, you know, the format was fantastic, suited the four-year-old for sure. And uh, he ran second in the Victoria Cup that year to Bruni Seller and then he, I think he won a heat of the Inner Dominion. So that basically got him well and truly in and he didn't have to run the three three runs in a week, which... You know the tradition of what the series is, which I think it's this year. So, um, you know, it, it uh, definitely had a lot to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> you go back to saying, "Hey, you love to win. You love to have won an Inter Dominion." Well, yeah, you bypassed the Hunter Cup, and then the first round of heats, you won at a dollar twenty with Shaker Maker, and Safe and Sound won a heat as well at two dollars thirty. So, that must have been some sort of feeling on a night to win to win two of the three heats of an Inter-Dominion series and have two absolute genuine chances going through the series. We both then went on to make a final, some sort of achievement to have both Shaker and Safe and Sound in the grand final that year. Yeah, look, um, I was I was blessed to have two great horses at the, the one time. I mean, you know, um, Safe and Sound, he was, a, he was a great individual in his own right. I mean, he was never quite as as flashy and as fast as safe as shaker maker but uh, he was he was more a dowsayer he he lacked a lacked a little bit of a turn of foot but um he was a genuine horse as well a genuine open class which he he went on and proved that he won a victoria he didn't win a, he won a hunter cup and he won an adelaide cup and he won an australian pacing championship so he he was he was a marvelous horse as well and he's still going he's 30 years old uh, this year and he's he's living the life out of the book of my place now did the two of them almost push each other? Like, you, I assume you'd work them together, and were they sort of the making of each other, the two horses, in a sense? Well, they were. They At the time, yeah, they did. They pushed each other, but there was a rule that no one was allowed to win on the training track. Yeah, yeah. So they could push themselves to the limit, but not, not crush the other one, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So would you always drive Shaker in work at home or would you split between the two? And who was the lucky person that got to sit behind Shaker at home when you were on Safe and Sound? I had a, a guy at the time called Philip Harrison. He he was working for me and he, he's a good old rough nut. Of, uh, yeah. from Port Augusta in South Australia and he, he followed me over when I first moved over here. And uh, he uh, he used to be the second in charge on Shaker and um, he was a, he's a really good horseman. Yeah, they're the people that uh, make us stable, aren't they? Now, take us through the grand final. You drew gate six. Carriage under fire was the odds-on favourite. He drew gate two, but in the end, it was the gate that cost him. He he banged his head on the mobile carriage under fire and galloped out, which changed the whole complex of the race. And I assume your theory was you were going back at the start pretty much regardless, John? Yeah. Look, look, he drew, he drew, what, six, I think, on the night, and yeah. there was so much speed inside of him. Would have been just suicidal to go forward. So, yeah, I, I had a plan to go back and just um, 
have a good look at them all. And um, I mean, the race didn't turn out to plan, as you said. I mean, Courage didn't didn't um, didn't go straight at the front. He, um, he he was a bit keen earlier as the driver or the horse, but they just touched the gate and had to go back. And then they they made the mid race move, which was good because they were all spending a bit of uh, fuel mm. in the middle stages and we were running along a bit. And we were lucky enough to get a good card into it. Um, I think we were following um, at it again. I'm just not 100% sure. But, yeah, I think we had a really good card into it. And, uh, yeah, had to come wide. But um, in his true um, shake of fashion, he just he rounded them up pretty quick, looked the winner, and then had to hold off for any fella. Yeah, you, were, you went three wide at the 1,000 metre mark. Three wide, three back you were. And you pulled out sort of five wide at the top of the straight. And you did look the winner at that point. Did you... Was there a moment at the top of the straight where you thought, everything I've done in all my life, this could be the moment. This is my chance. Come on, boy, just get home from here. Well, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. I, yeah. I probably celebrated, started celebrating halfway up the straight pretty well and then had a look and saw Brinnie's coming and thought, oh, no, not again. <laughs> don't get too excited. Yeah, but uh, I don't think, no, I just think I was just joy. A lot of happiness was running through my veins when uh, halfway up the straight when we hit the lead. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, so it was was a, a life changing moment. It certainly was. And you sell, did you celebrate pretty hard into the night, or uh, were celebrations uh, restricted to another time because you would have to get horses home and looked after and etc. But I'm sure you would have celebrated. Oh yeah, we we celebrated all night. Um, yeah, I. I Funnily enough, I, I really enjoyed the night. We, we started off in the casino. We got the horses home, of course, and then everybody came back to the casino. And uh, I think we actually didn't get to bed till 8 o'clock the next morning. But I, we finished up in uh, St Kilda with just a small group of us and um, in, in Fitzroy Street uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning reading the Herald, Morning Herald Sun. I was in Shakers on the back page. So, yeah, so we were still going. Didn't I actually made the choice of not actually over over celebrating, so I didn't drink a lot. I had a couple of beers, but overall I stayed pretty um, much in control and just enjoyed the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. Must have been some sort of feeling to pick the paper up and see your horse on the back page. That is special, isn't it, of the Herald Sun? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Two thousand and two, you touched on. He won three heats that year. And just ran second in the final to uh, Smooth Satin. Do you still feel like the one that got away, or is that not how you look back on it? Because so much luck's involved, and I suppose you had your luck in in two thousand. Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I definitely got to look back at Sydney and and think he was undefeated in all his heats and looked looked the winner. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't know. He went good in the final, but uh, not quite. Um, Probably, you know, the other horse was just too good on the night for him. I mean, Brian got after him in that final, and uh, he just said to me at the time, said, uh, the other one was just younger and stronger. So, um, you know, whether that's the case or not, I was just thought Shaker might have been off, off a slight, slightly or, or whatever, but, you know, um, he had his chance. I found in an article too, John, that uh, a punter in the December of 99... Uh, bet to win $200,000 on Shaker Maker. At, he was about 12 to 1 at that time. Uh, do you know who that punter is? I don't expect you to name them, but did, did you ever hear from them? Because they would have been pretty happy with you, I reckon, when they won two hundred grand. <laughs> no, no. He, he never a Christmas card or a, a <laughs> thank you card or anything. 
Um, I've got a feeling I might have an idea who it was, but um, yeah, oh, good luck to him. Yeah, hundred percent. Was was there a lot of pressure going through the series? Did you feel a bit of pressure with two runners in a final? I know he was six dollars in the final, and I suppose the pressure was probably more on Courage Under Fire, which would have come taking a bit of pressure off your shoulders, I suppose. Yeah, look, it was. I mean, you feel the pressure of training those sort of horses, I've yeah. got to say. So you don't look at the individual races, but it's just keeping them fit, keeping the athletes fit and wealthy, healthy, I mean. Because, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot can go wrong with a horse, and when they're so good, you just feel it even more. As one last uh, question I've got for you in the training stakes, there's a young driver named Eva Justice who's just hit the scene, and... It feels like uh, you're training a champion up again once more, John. She, gee, she, I spoke to you the other night at Ballarat. Gee, she's just driving absolutely beautifully. She she is. I mean, you know, don't want to get ahead of yourself, but she, she sits well, she handles them well, she's in control, and, uh, yeah, look, she's got good judgment. Um, you've just got to learn a few things. and But, you know, she's heading in the right direction. I'm very proud of her, and... Um, um, as long as she keeps listening, she'll uh, just keep improving. All right, mate. I'll let you go uh, play your round of golf that uh, you're up to today. Thanks so much for coming on. And we love reliving these memories of some champions and days gone by. And it was the world's richest race at the time. And uh, he was basically the world's best pacer, at least for a day or two anyway. Uh, we took it from America, from an American horse, I'm sure. And back page of the Herald Sun, it was some sort of a race worth a million dollars in 2000. And thanks so much for your time, John, and reliving some memories of the great Shaker Maker. Thanks, Toby. Appreciate it. Welcome back. It is Trot's Life. It's your Wednesday edition. We look back at the 2000 Inter-Dominion. Uh, what a year it was and what a huge uh, Inter-Dominion the 2000 Inter-Dominion was. But we do look forward as well. And Darren Carroll was on with Gareth Hall this morning. Gareth's over in his homeland of WA for the week. So it'd be nice and early when Darren would have been catching up with Gareth by Gareth time. So let's uh, just relive those couple of minutes and get a couple of tips from Darren for horses to follow at Maryborough and Geelong tonight. Maryborough first of all. Morning, Gareth. Um, yeah, just a couple of tips today. It's one of those days where, you know, they're not springing out to you and so back me. So I'll keep it fairly limited today and we'll just uh, keep our bullets for another day probably. But um, to start with Maribor, I like race three, number two, Major Max. Um, he's fairly short for the horse that he is, but he's found the perfect race. Um, two starts ago, he led from a wide draw and rolled along in front and was too good for him at fairly big odds at Kilmore. But he's a horse that I've always quite liked, so it wasn't a shock to me. Then last time he had uh, outside second row draw, went three wide too early and got caught three wide, then loomed up. Um, at the at the 400, you know, when he really probably shouldn't have, and he galloped. Um, today, um, with the scratching of well-deserved, uh, who was the natural speed in the race, but hands up, um, he looks the leader, and I really think he'll win today. Uh, he's fairly short, but 
we're probably getting that because you know he found the right race, uh, unfashionable stable. So he'll probably get out in the market. So don't jump into the early price. Uh, I'm looking to get out to you know. 250, 260 type thing at jump time, but I, I really think he's the one to beat there today at Maribor, and, and that's the only one I found there. Um, then I moved to Geelong. Um, I like Central Otago in race four, race four number one. They've already come for it, which surprises me a little bit because there's a fair bit of depth to the race. He's got him short now, but I reckon he'll get out to, to black figures at jump time. He gets the perfect conditions for himself. Um, I think he'll lead gets to dictate, whilst there's okay depth at the race, he just goes so much better in front and uh, with Kate Gath on board, I just think he'll give us a, a mighty sight and deservedly he should so at that price, but I think he'll be winning tonight so race four, number one Central Otago. Alright mate we'll That'll do the double. So far, yeah, so yeah, race three, number good, two, though. Mary Barr into Geelong race four, number one. Good on you mate thanks for that Darren. Thank you. That was Darren Carroll with Gareth Hall earlier on Giddy Up and I wish I had got him on live earlier because I would have challenged him a little bit because I just think could do with the reins about due to bob up for another really good run with for uh, Mick Gadsden and Denby Wade. It's drawn number one in that race at Maryborough that Major Max is in. I think Major Max leads. I think could do with the rain sits behind Major Max. And at 8.50 and 3.30, you've got to run top two to get the place dividend. I think it's a really, really good chance uh, could do with the rain. So... Maybe uh, for the big fellas and the likes, you can have a Quinella. Could do with a rain and Major Max. Uh, might be the way to go or a uh, put a... I think big fella likes doing both to run a place or top three or something. That'd be a pretty smart way of having a little bet there and could do with a rain. Might put a bit of value in it. Particularly if you have a uh, Quinella or an Exactor or something and could do with a rain can beat Major Max and... Uh, Central Otago, I am judging at Geelong tonight, so I won't make a comment on anything at Geelong as I'll be uh, deciding who wins the races and obviously any commentary I make about it can create a conflict of interest. Let's get to a break, uh, to the news, sorry, the 12.30 news and find out uh, what's happening around the world. Welcome back, it is Trot's Life. What does Jason say? Make it your life. Make it Trot's life. It's your Wednesday edition. Ronnie from Craigie Burns ringing in. Here you go, Ronnie. I don't know if I can take that call. Uh, big fella says, thanks for the extra tip, Toby. No worries, big fella. Now, I won't reveal private conversations, but I'm good mates with Mick Gadsden. And uh, look, he trains that horse. Uh, race three, number one, could do with the rain. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, uh, can run a really good race for him and for you, big fella. And yeah, that sort of listening to Darren and Major Max, it does go pretty well, Major Max. I can see the two of them featuring very prominently at the finish for your race. Well worth, well worth, uh, well worth watching as, I don't know what Ronnie, Ronnie's a pretty good regular, uh, listener to the show. Uh, just call back again, Ronnie, because my producer, uh, Lincoln, is at the back now and he might be able to take that call. It's a bit hard for me to take a call whilst on air. Uh, Lincoln has returned. Uh, he might have wanted to talk something about the 2000 Inter Dominion, perhaps. Uh, here he is. He's ringing again. So uh, we're just working live here for a moment. Uh, 
Lincoln is taking the call. We haven't. Ta- I don't think we've ever taken a call on on any of my shows like this before. So this could be a first. Dan Malecki still to come. Miles Fitzner and David Taggart are normally your Wednesday hosts. So I assume they are. Uh, tomorrow, it Thursday, it will be just me. It's the new uh, setup. Thursday is moving day. Tim O'Connor will join me. Mick Gurin will join me. And also... Uh, Jamie Cockshut in the Taz Racing segment. We've lost Ronnie once again. So let's get to a break. We'll come back the other side. Dan Malecki, the great man, the great voice of harness racing, is going to come on, and we're going to reminisce about that 2000 Inter Dominion, a race he commentated both the finals. Uh, amazing, um, amazing races they were, and it was one of the great calls from Dan in the 2000 and Inter Dominion. Second quarter in 30.8, and Slug of Gin, the leader, 700 to go. Two and a half metres to the little champ, Courage Under Fire. Then came Admiral's Avenue, safe and sound off the track. In between runners, Yieldstar, three wide with cover at it again. Over on the inside, Kaya Kid. Then Happy Asset, Shaker Maker, Breenies Fella, Captain Rufus, and Cole Bruce last. Heading off the back in 28.3, Slug of Gin led two metres. Courage Under Fire second, right around the outside at it again, pulling out. Three wide safe and sound. Admirals Avenue awaiting the express post lane. Favourites under the whip. Courage under fire as they turn into the straight slug of gin being swamped. Here comes Shaker. Shaker Maker let loose with a run. Look at him go. Shaker Maker hit the lead with John Justice. He's coming away. Flying Breedy's fella. It's a Victorian Quinella. Shaker's done it. Shaker Maker's won the Inner Dominion. John Justice and Shaker Maker have beaten Breedy's fella and Happy Acid. Then came... Yeah. Ah, oh, what a call from Dan Malecki and that here comes Shaker. It's spine-tingling stuff for me. He's down the line. Dan, mate, uh, firstly, how are you and whereabouts are you today? Oh, I'm in my office, um, which is which is at home. I think everyone's got their home office uh, nowadays, but this is where my studio is. And, um, yeah, I've got uh, all the relevant uh, necessities of uh, being involved in horse racing at my fingertips and... It's my quiet place so I can uh, do all my preparation and study for yeah. for all of my work. I was uh, speaking with John Justice earlier, and it, the series was such a unique series in many ways. It was the million dollar Inter Dominion the first time it got to that prize money, and the qualification of it was different as well as the Hunter Cup and Victoria Cup were worth double points, and... Uh, in the Trotters series, the Doard Cup and the Australian Trotters Championship were worth extra points. And to have Shaker Maker and Lyle Creek, Lyle Creek had only had 14 starts then when he came over for the series. was some some sort of an exciting series, wasn't it? Oh, look, it, it really was, Toby. I've got a photo here. I think there was only two that were ever made. And it's a photo of the winner of each of the five weeks of the carnival. 
uh, and the race book that goes with it. And, and every week was sensational. And for all of the horses that you mentioned, um, the Inner Dominion, it, it was changed that year. I loved it. I, I loved it because of the quality and the depth of quality in his mm-hmm. horses, I'm not sure there's been better. Somebody might come up with uh, a, another year where they were pretty close to the mark or, or there was equally a lot of top-class horses. But that carnival, we started off with Christian Cullum. He was the favourite for the series. He, he ran third in the Victoria Cup, but he then went amiss. And when horses like Holmes DG and TaylorMade Lombo aren't getting there yeah. to the final, but uh, it just shows you the depth in the ranks at the time and courage under fire. That was the, the year that um, he was beaten in the heat by Kaima Kid. Uh, for the very first time in his career. And um, and Shaker Maker, as a four-year-old, same as Courage and the Fire, came on the scene. Brenny's fellow was probably the surprise because he was yeah. a good horse, but yeah. not sure he'd really shown that he was up to that level. And obviously winning the Vic Cup and then second in the grand final, he peaked and uh, there was great representation from every state and from both islands of New Zealand. It was as good uh, of an Inter Dominion carnival that I can recall. And Slug of Gin, the American horse, was there as well. And, and in the trotting ranks, you mentioned Lyle Creek, but, you know, some of the other stars that were there included, um, I remember Africa and Sundon's Way and Buster Hanover from the Mark Purden stable. And National Interest ran in the Interzone Grand Final with a, a special force, Mountain Gold, the, 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 the star Kiwi trotters. And even Euro Ranger, the, uh, the imported horse, the European, was there and pushed uh, Lyle Creek. He got very close to him in one of the lead-ups. Uh, so it was a fabulous carnival. It, it really was. Five five weeks of outstanding action that, to be fair, it's almost impossible to uh, re- re- be able to repeat it. Oh, I did the stats on it, Dan. The Pacers field finished their career with 364 wins combined and 11.1 million. The Trotters, 310 wins combined, 6.5 million. I haven't looked up others or, or done the same analysis on multiple Inter Dominions, but 11.1 million. And then some of those names you mentioned that missed out, Christian Cullen, uh, Holmes, DG, they would have only lifted that average up. You know, a million dollar earners per horse we're talking in a race. It's unheard of. It is unheard of. And they're all, to, to think their bank balances would have been bigger if, each of the others weren't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, safe and sound was in that mix. There was Captain Rufus, Cole Bruce, who was a star here in Victoria. And remember, there was Saab and Admirals Avenue. They were two star horses yeah. from Western Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Asset was here. I mean, he was a top horse. He almost became a Victorian. He was he was here that, that often. And um, it was uh, oh, just a wonderful series. When you, I've got the race books here. And when I look back through it, I just think, wow. You know, what a thrill it was to be able to call with that depth and quality of horse that went through that series is is uh, is remarkable. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was your first Inter-Dominion? It was the first Inter-Dominion I called in Melbourne. Yeah. I'd called three previously. In fact, I'd called Inter-Dominions at the previous two years. I called uh, Savancelot winning in Auckland for... Um, the radio. I yeah. called Savancelot winning in Hobart for Sky Channel, and I called Thorate winning in Adelaide for for Channel Ten. So it was the first Inter Dominion I called in Melbourne, and, and even to this day, even though it seems like I've probably been calling the trots for a long time, um, th- this year's Inter Dominion. It's only going to be my seventh pacing championship that I would have called, and because it was rotated for so many years, 
But within the confines of the job that I've actually got now and I've had for 26-odd years, yeah. it's only my fourth Inter-Dominion call in Melbourne. So it doesn't happen that often. They're rare. So you need to embrace it. And, um, and naturally, I'm looking forward to this year's. But it's pretty hard to top 2,000 for a number of reasons. The crowd was great. It was the first million-dollar harness race. We talked about the depth of quality of horse. But also, I felt like it was the, the actual race that I was... Um, employed to call um yeah i still consider it the most important race that i've of call i've actually rated above all of the melbourne cup calls um probably because i'd conquered those mountains previously and and i'd called all the big races by the time i was 21 i'd called melbourne cups inner yeah. dominions obviously yeah. the four eight one and and the features in the greyhounds but um i hadn't called an inter dominion in melbourne and it, it was a big one so still to this day i i consider it not necessarily my best call but it's it's certainly my most important call. I, I was there, and I might be a little parochial Victorian, but when you said, here comes Shaker, I reckon I jumped in the air at the at that moment, you know, to, to try and cheer him home. And then, of course, I was connected to Breenie's fella, and then Breenie's fella come out of the pack, and I jumped in the air again. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty good. If you were parochial, um, yeah. you could easily cheer them on. Um uh, Brendan's fella never really looked like getting to shake a maker in the grand final, but he did charge through it late. Um, oh, look, it was a wonderful race. Even the race itself, Courage Under Fire had been beaten a couple of times through the series. Yeah. He'd run an awesome race in the in the Victoria Cup. He got knocked over and flashed home. And the start before that, he got beaten in an Inter-Dominion heat by Kaye McKidd. And he ran favourite in the grand final, uh, but he hit his head on the mobile gate and went roughly at the start. So his chances were pretty much out the window and then he had to work around them, sit without cover and I mean he was brave under the circumstances but it was just beyond him and shaker maker there was a sense of timing about him he was only a four-year-old but he uh, he he'd really turned it around on on uh courage under fire in probably six months he, he couldn't beat uh courage he really couldn't get close to him but uh, the rapid regression shaker maker was able to make uh, was extraordinary. Um, and, and you'll start. There's another great horse that was part of that series yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just the depth. Of, I don't think I've known better. I know the years that Blacks are fake, I'm the Mighty Queen, Smoking Up, were racing against each other. They were fantastic. But not the depth. And, and absolute champions. And you could pick out four, five, six horses of that particular era. But here, I reckon you could name 20 of them uh, and consider them in the elite category. And that's just in the pacing ranks. And the, and the trotting ranks at the time were similar. Yeah, well, as you said, there was half a dozen horses that should have been in the final that weren't, So, which would make any any final any other year. Dan, mate, uh, we've only got a minute left, but thank you so much for coming on and giving us some uh, recollections. And, yeah, here comes Shaker, and uh, I still, still, every time I hear it, I still get that little spine tickle. So thanks, thanks mate. And uh, I'll, are you at Geelong tonight? I might see you at Geelong. No, no. If you see me at Geelong tonight, it'll be a doppelganger. Um, no, I'm off tonight, doing all my prep for a, for a busy weekend, Friday and Saturday. Look, thanks for the memories. Uh, probably the most frightening aspect of it, it was uh, nearly 23 years ago. Yeah, stop it. All right, I'll see you on the weekend. I'll be at uh, Melton Friday, Saturday. Good on you, Dan. See you there. Thanks, Toby. There's Dan Malecki, the great race caller of... Of my generation and my life, I suppose, when you think about it, he's been the absolute top of the tree for the last uh, 23 years at least, even longer than that, calling thought rates into Dominion. Wow, that was, uh, I'm, I'm only going to go off the top of my head, that was 89, 90. 
unbelievable. He's been calling uh, the top of the tree for, what, 30-something years. And as Shaker Maker loomed at the top of the straight that year, and here comes Shaker, he just looked the winner at that point of time. We heard from John Justice. He didn't have much time to think about it. Uh, but looking back, yeah, I think that the thrill of just feeling that horse just let down at the top of a straight when John had chased that into Dominion for all those years, it was the pinnacle race that he wanted to win. We heard from Tim Budd as well that uh, that was the race he wanted to win. Over and above a New Zealand Cup was an inter-dominion. They chased. He tried to buy a horse for the race. He couldn't get one. And it turned out he had one in his in his stable the whole time. Lyle Creek, who just got better and better and better. He'd only had 14 starts when he came to Australia to tackle an inter-dominion series. Almost an immature horse. Only the 14 starts. Unbelievable, isn't it? And he won the Inter-Dominion that year. We've got the end of the show is nigh upon us. Lee Dalton from Palmer Bet will be up on the other side of the break with Miles Fitzner and David Taggart, who assume command and control for the rest of the afternoon. I'll be back tomorrow. It's moving day on Trot's Life. I'll be teeing off with Tim O'Connor, Mick Guren, Jamie Cockshut, and chasing a few guests as well for throughout the show. I'll catch you then.